Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Women in Sport podcast brought to you by CSM Live. I cannot believe it's already December. It's already nearing the end of 2020 and what a year it has been to say the least. As always, we are here to shine a light on the issues that are impacting women and girls throughout the UK and are looking at them through the lens of sport. For this December episode, we're going to be talking about seasonal affective disorder. It's got considerably darker in the U- and colder in the UK, and it feels like there's no better time to be talking about this issue, which affects one in three people in the UK. I think it's something that people don't talk about a lot, but it's slowly gathering a, a bit more importance, especially in the media as well. So with me today, I have an amazing panel of, of people who are working in and outside of sport, but all around this topic. So firstly, I'm joined by psychotherapist Naomi Marston from Life Care Counselling, who specialises in women's mental health. Hi, Naomi. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you. Um, I'm also joined by Stuart Hoare, a PhD student and a big runner, former competitive runner. Now I think Stuart, not as much, but definitely getting out there and running a lot. Uh, and you are, you're studying a PhD at the moment and you also have, have had a big role to play in the well-being of athletes and as someone who, who suffers from seasonal affective disorder as well, right Stuart? Yeah, so I've I've been um, you know using my own experience to to support other athletes and and to to raise awareness of the importance of um, physical activity and supporting people in accessing physical activity opportunities. So yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm I'm really looking forward to the chat. No, it's going to be great. And uh, we also have another PhD student. So we're filling we're filling this podcast with some very smart people. Uh, Bethan Taylor Swain, who is a well-being consultant and is also studying for a PhD and is specifically focused on running and mental health and other physical activity and mental health. Am I right, Bethan? Is that a good way to sum you up? <laughs> Yeah, I do all sorts of things. My PhD looks at women in ultra running um, and trying to understand how we can learn the lesson, how we can learn lessons from women who run a very long way to help women at grassroots, the start of their running journey to become engaged and participate. And that's what's really important to me. I want women who've never enjoyed sport before to feel all the well-being benefits of it very on brand for women in sport as well so that's perfect and finally i'm joined by tina chantry fitness editor at women's running running coach and someone with two books out which is amazing uh, achievement tina thank you for coming on thank you for having me it's definitely been a very busy and challenging year especially getting those books out and working and coaching with the girls my two of my girls at home off school for six months so yeah it's been unusual yeah, it's definitely been an unusual year for everyone, I think, to say the least. But fingers crossed, 2021 is going to be a bit calmer. Um, so firstly, I reckon there's a lot of people who be listening to this who have no idea what seasonal affective disorder is or how it might impact our mental health and our mental well-being. So Naomi, I was wondering if you could give us a bit of an overview, overview about what it is and how it impacts us. 
absolutely. So seasonal affective disorder or SAD, as we like to call it, which is quite apt, isn't it? Because it makes us feel quite sad, is a type of depression or low mood. And I think it's really important to realise that there is it's on a spectrum. So you could just slightly suffer it and just feel slightly, you know, a bit down, a bit yucky, a bit grumpy, or it could be really severe in terms of affecting you like depression, full-blown depression. Um, it usually starts in the winter months when our clocks go back and we have dark mornings and darker evenings. And what it chemically does is that our brains produce more melatonin when it's dark and not enough serotonin. So the melatonin is our sleepy hormone. So it just makes us sleepy, makes us more lethargic, makes us feel a bit more down. Um, and it just changes our um, rhythms, our natural ryth rhythms in our bodies. So we really have to learn how to work with the little bit of sunshine that we get here in the UK. Tina, Tina, Bethan and, and Stuart, I think all of you have, have said that you, you have experienced this. So I just wanted to, you to share how, how it feels like when you experience it and how it affects your life. So maybe Tina, do you want to share first how, how you felt it? Yeah, sure. For me, once the clocks go back, uh, or just before really, it's like someone switched, a flicked a light switch onto off regarding energy. So I would say in the spring I and summer, I am a completely different person. And then as the days get shorter and shorter, my energy will drop. My sleeping habits just get so much worse. Um, you know, it's dread. I think it's it's a it's an ongoing mental battle you have with yourself, where you know you have to carry on and do things, and yet a negative voice in your head just wants you to hibernate like a bear, which we can't do. How about you, Bethan? Is that similar for you, or does it manifest in a little bit different way? I think when I um, so my I've I've got quite a protracted story about how I ended up doing what I do now, but I was in the corporate world for nearly a decade. And winter was incredibly hard for me then because I'd be going to work when it was dark, I'd be coming home when it was dark. I worked long hours in a busy job so I didn't get out during the day. I wasn't finding the energy to do exercise or really look after myself in any meaningful way. What's been different for me now is um, I now have the flexibility in my life to manage it, which means that come winter I kind of change my habits and I, I change my routines so that I can give myself a bit more energy. So other than the last month, I go um, swimming or for a run every day during daylight hours. And that's really helped me. So this year I'm not feeling it as acutely. It's more like just a a little shimmery curtain of, uh, oh, it's really dark and I don't have as much energy as I maybe do in June, July. But um, I can definitely identify with that kind of very deep sense of, feeling very lethargic and very tired and maybe even a little bit overwhelmed through the winter. Like, you know, it's never going to end and it's terribly hard work. Stuart, how about you? Yeah, I, I would, um, you know, e echo what Tina and Bethan have said in, in terms of the way I felt and um, the the kind of uh, kind of state of depression that is, is feels heightened in those in those winter months. 
is, is something that I've, I've always suffered from. Um, but when it came to being diagnosed, it, it, for me, was an opportunity to kind of reflect and legitimize those, those feelings. And I kind of felt like, oh, well, you know, everyone feels more, more blue and down in the winter. But, you know, actually, this is different. This is, this is a real deep feeling of, of um, low mood. And so having, having that um, diagnosis and the legitimacy to kind of accept that it is real um, was really powerful for me because it helped me really make sense of how I felt in, in, in those winter months in that kind of darker, you know, outside, but, but inside state. So, yeah, it, it really is just um, a kind of depression where, I feel like the environment, possibly the the reduction in social interaction as well, um, it really kind of brings out those those kind of depressive feelings that that people can have. Naomi, when we spoke before um, the podcast, you were talking about how um, seasonal affective disorder is actually more likely to happen with women. What? Why is that? I don't know is is the the honest answer Um, and I'm not sure that research has even discovered why Um, but all we know is that women are 10 to 20 percent more likely to to be affected by SAD than men Um, whether it's something biological in our brains I I just don't know Um, but I think you know, I think it's been highlighted actually during lockdown because loads and loads of people have been doing exercise indoors, which is great. You know, let's let's never knock people from doing exercise. But a lot of people are doing classes on Zoom and it's really easy, especially when it's dark and it's cold and it's pouring with rain, not to get out. And actually, that's the one thing that really helps SAD is by getting out because even if it's a bit cloudy i mean if it's sunny that's absolutely fabulous that's the number one prescription to help us feel much better we need that vitamin d we need the uva and the uvb and you know we absorb that through our skin and also through our our head so it's really important to you know not wrap up totally (laughs) you know balaclava hat scarf gloves everything because we need to be aware that actually we absorb the sunlight through our skin and that's what's going to help us a bit to feel a bit better um so i think it's you know i don't know why women are more likely to experience it but i think women are more likely to do a zoom class than possibly go outside to exercise I mean, I can totally relate. I know that there's been lots of times during the lockdown where I haven't left the house once because I may have done a workout with my friend on on FaceTime or something like that. And I think, oh, you know, I've done my exercise for the day and, you know, I'm not going to leave now or it's chucking it down with rain and you then uh, are indoors. And sometimes I'll do maybe... 300 steps or something crazy because I would have like just you know been dotting around making a cup of tea and that's about it so it's even more a challenge obviously in this current situation we're in but Bethan and and Tina and Stuart I know you guys are are, are keen runners so that's been a big aspect of of how you manage it but lots of people also look at those uh the, the lamps which are really popular so Tina, what, what's it what's it been for you that has given you the, the biggest boost and, and the best way to manage it? 
I used to use a lamp uh, beside my computer. Um, I moved house and it did break. So what I think when you have sad, as you become older and wiser and more experienced of yourself, you learn what you have to do. So I would say to you, exercising indoors that no 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 that's not good you whether it's easy or not you have to get outside for your mental wealth well-being I don't even as a running coach I'm not even talking about your physical health I because I do a lot of mindful running so this is the thing if you have the symptoms and you know then you plan for the next year and a lot of the time, the problem with exercising outside is that you're battling a little voice in your head and you have to learn to t dial it down or flick a big switch, switch it off or say to it, thank you, but I'm going anyway. So it's just finding the way, finding different little tweaks to your routine. I know Bethan said she runs first thing in the morning. This is like a crucial thing in the winter that... If you get out first thing, you boost your mood by the release of the endorphins and that sets you up for potentially a better mood during the day. As runners, when we leave our run to darkness hours, uh, it's easier and easier to put it off and it's harder and harder to get out the door. So scheduling in your training two weeks in advance, if you can, and knowing you may have to be flexible can be key to ensuring that you know you do what you have to do to place yourself in the best position to get through each day. So I talk a lot to people about this um, and I talk about the ideas of motivation. So people say, I don't have the motivation to do it or how do I find the motivation to go out for a run or even go out for a walk when it's a bit drizzly and yucky outside. And I try and encourage people to change it into forming habits. So ditching the idea of motivation, because motivation is always going to come and go. It's not a stable state and it's heavily influenced by um, your internal thoughts and feelings. So if you're feeling a bit low, it's natural that your motivation is going to dip and you're not going to be able to push yourself in quite the same way or your self-talk might not be as effective as you would normally find it would be or, or you'd like it to be. So what I encourage people to do is to form those habits. So for me, 10.20 every day, I either have a gym session booked or I have a swim booked. Um, my swims are outdoors, so that's great. I get lots of sunlight hitting my skin because I'm a skin swimmer. So that kind of helps. And the walk to the gym, if I'm in the gym, I'll make, make sure I take a longer route there to get lots of sunlight. But those become non-negotiables because they're my habits. I'm not motivated to go to the gym every day. Sometimes I go and just stand on a cross trainer for 20 minutes. But what I am in the habit of doing is leaving the house at 10.20 every day to go to a specific place. And that can make a real difference. If you can kind of bring those rhythms into your life, um, you will start to see a world of difference. And we're in an amazing, we have an amazing opportunity at the moment with so many of us working remotely or working from home. We do have that little bit of flexibility to get out the house at 20 past 10 or whenever suits you in your day to go just for a walk around the block, to go sit in our garden and get some fresh air, to go do some stretches in our garden, whatever works for the individual. We can work that into our routines and into our lives and bring that rhythm of getting daylight, um, 
exposure through the winter months that maybe we didn't have when we worked in offices. I love the way you describe that, Bethan, as rhythm. I think that's a great word. I think I prefer the word rhythm over habits. It's a very kind of easy, I can make that part of my rhythm. Um, Stuart, with some of the work that you've done with, with NGBs and, and other providers, trying to make them see the importance of, of supporting mental well-being in the athletes and, and the people that they, they work with, what what is the advice you've been giving them in terms of this is what you should be doing and avoid this, do this, whatever it may be? Yeah, it's 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 been an interesting uh, development, kind of seeing how that work has uh, moved forward over the past five years in particular, um, because a lot of that has been cultural. So it's been a more environmentally friendly uh, place for mental for mental uh, well being. With, with the athletes that um, we would work with at training camps or I would work with um, individually at, at sports clubs, um, part of it is understanding the athlete or understanding you know, the person, depending on you know, what their interests are. And it, it really starts with kind of passing things over to them. So initially, you know, asking them to reflect on their their thoughts and feelings during training that could be through like a reflective logbook and what that does it allows them to kind of more objectively look at how they feel over time so if they're feeling you know particularly low in a session you can kind of look back through those sessions with them and say well you know is this different to how you felt two weeks ago you know what did you do two weeks ago that got you through the session? Could you do that now? Those kind of things. And it also allows them to appreciate that if they do suffer from um, low moods, that's temporary. You know, it, it, it is a struggle. It is real, but they will get through it. And having that, that journal um, re- really helps them to get through that. Another thing is, is to signpost people on appropriately so not necessarily signposting them on to um, mental health professionals you know as a as a first resort maybe they just need to talk about mindfulness and, and to really um, you know understand how how they can build that into their training as well as the physical stuff so yeah it's it's about get getting the best of both worlds in in terms of um, their, their physical health and physical development and their mental health and mental development as well. Naomi, we've talked uh, a lot about getting outside and, and that being such a key aspect of, of battling this during the winter months. Are there any other things you would recommend that people who may be feeling like this do to improve things? Yeah, so I think, you know, what Stuart has just said about learning how to implement mindfulness in your day can be really helpful for some people. And I think, um, you know, there's so many apps, there's so many free access that you have to kind of find one that suits you because it's not easy. You're not going to listen to, say, a mindfulness app and it's going to work the first time. You have to really implement it into your life and into your daily routine so I think it's definitely worth trying things like mindfulness I think it's also good a bit like Bethan was saying um 
scheduling a really good routine and looking at things so apart from getting outside and trying to exercise outside and it doesn't have to be you know big sweaty exercises like running even just having a walk in an open green space can really help but also establish other good routines within your day so possibly a good nighttime routine um, where we don't think about what do you do an hour before you go to bed are you just kind of watching telly and slopping about on the sofa because to have a nice warm bath say for example with put some lavender oil in it um, and do your mindfulness or meditation then or listen to some really calming music can really improve your sleep and if you sleep better then your mood is going to be naturally better the next morning um, so and also maybe just look at look at your diet I mean you know this is mince pie season and I'm not suggesting that no one hits the mince pies and the shallons absolutely not I'm not a killjoy but can we supplement it you know maybe it's worth trying to take a vitamin d supplement for example um when we're always reaching for those starchy carbs because all we really want is the sugar to try and say well okay you know I'll save the mince pie for post 6 p.m or after I've done that run um, and kind of just be really aware of implementing a good balanced healthy diet and I suppose the other thing as well I know Tina was saying you know sometimes the lamps do work for people but again you've got to see what works for you there isn't just one prescription that's going to work for everybody and there's two types of lamps that people can invest in so some is just a light that you plug in and it kind of, you know, shines into your face and it's meant to replicate sunlight. The others will come up slowly. So you can use it for an alarm clock and it's meant to brighten your room, your bedroom, like the sun would in terms of coming through and daylight, daylight breaking. So I think it's, it's an array of things. You know, there's lots of different things to try and everyone's an individual and it's almost like you have a tick list and you just kind of go through it and see what works for you. Tina, I think for, for a lot of people, the idea of, of going out for a run can be a really daunting prospect and a really intimidating thing. So as a coach, how do you work with people who were just on the start of that journey and just trying to you know get up the pace and get up the courage as well to go outside yeah I think that's the thing about this year isn't it in lockdown is that so many people have been gifted the time and space in their routine to perhaps try something like a couch to 5k that they wouldn't have perhaps done before so people are taking those small steps um I think kindness is the biggest gift you can give to yourself to get to perhaps that first small milestone. And when people think about running, they think they have to be going faster and running further. They've got something to prove when in the truth is that they've got nothing to prove to anyone. So I always say to everyone, just break it down, go slower do segments and literally who, whoever you are, however good you are, consistency and getting out there gives you so much more than thrashing yourself, losing your motivation. So, you know, why can't you walk between two lampposts if you're out jogging? Because that, in a sense, gives you that breathing space to 
connect both to yourself and to your environment to listen to smell because I live by the sea so when I was younger I'd only run fast every mile every training session whereas now when I run to the sea I would never not stop and just absorb what is being offered so I would say to everyone just be kind to yourself break it down to smaller steps smaller intervals um don't worry you know being out there is what's important it's not how far or how fast you've gone no one is judging you or going to compare you so don't do that to yourself beth and stewart i don't know where you guys live but certainly in i think in london where i live and in big cities it can be really challenging to find that space to find the nice space that's not going to be super polluted or, or full of people so how how have you guys wherever you do live i don't know if it has been big cities found found those nice areas and, and maximize those opportunities so i live in london i live in very central london as well i live in brixton um and actually i really love running in the city i love urban running i'm um, part of run dem crew we go out and we explore urban environments and i love that because when you're on two feet you can move to places that you might not otherwise see you can experience things you might not otherwise experience you can go and get lost in your city and as a city dweller that's amazing the over the last i mean i've been running for maybe eight years now and over the last eight years i've got to know london so well and discovered amazing little pocket parks the canal network i've explored the olympic park I've gone all the way up North London, which for somebody who lives south of the river is a radical move. <laughs> <laughs> but it, there's so much to look at and so much experience and see. And you can go further when you're, when you're running as well. So I see being in the city a little bit differently. It's an amazing opportunity to really engage with your environment and experience its vibrancy. And at the moment, you know, if you go up to central London, it's much quieter. When else can you run down the middle of Oxford Street? Very true, very true. Um, Stuart, how about you? I'm, I'm quite similar uh, as well in that I am a, like a, a city liver. Um, I used to live in London, now living in Newcastle. So there's still that city element. And um, with the flexibility that I have, mm. um, it means I can, you know, do exercise in the morning or, you know, just whenever there is daylight. Um, but in terms of working with athletes, as I kind of have done over many years, the, the, the challenge uh, that we face is, is the, the safety and the welfare of, of younger athletes in particular. Um, so, you know, recently we've, we've been really campaigning for there to be sufficient provision of safe spaces and places for people to be physically active. And I think... Um, this second lockdown in England has, has really laid bare that, you know, there is there is uh, a challenge for some people to be physically active um, in, in winter. So, you know, I really I really think that that's going to change. Um, I think the, the, the reopening of gyms and leisure centres will, will will kind of set a precedent, I think, for for. Um, how important safety is so that we can allow people to be physically active and to, you know, better their, their mental well-being. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think cities are great for, for, for that. Um, but 
um, we, we do need to really consider health and safety as well with, with younger athletes. Can I also say, um, wherever you live, and it could be city or the countryside, research shows that if you can get towards water, so that could be a canal, a lake, pond, a stream, doesn't have to be living by the beach, that there's so much more benefit because it kind of induces a meditative state and it kind of almost allows you get, to get into the flow, which as a runner, when you get into the flow, you're connecting more and you're just, for your mental health, I think if you can do a run and you can find water, give it a go because that really transforms the run as well. I think it can be really easy to overthink well-being and overthink what you need to feel better in difficult times and I you know I've had some very dark times and I found it hard to get out of bed and do anything but as you, if you can gradually introduce new rhythms one by one over quite a long period of time so it's not too overwhelming those things don't have to be anything kind of really over the top we there's lots of books and lots of articles out there that suggest all these elaborate routines that you bring into your life and that you do this that and the next thing and you'll feel amazing actually getting out for gradually a couple more minutes walk every day in a green space or buy some water or both if you can um that's what's going to start helping you on that journey there aren't any quick fixes but you can gradually start to introduce rhythms into your life that will just help things feel a little bit easier over time and um, that patience and kindness with yourself that Tina mentioned I think that that's one of the biggest lessons I learned from running and it's translated across the rest of my life so that now I'm in a position to do that very gentle quite time-consuming work to get myself in a much more balanced place and that would be my biggest piece of advice is take it very easy and very slowly I think we also need to just break down this whole taboo that we should be ashamed of how we're feeling or we shouldn't be embarrassed of how we're feeling um, and I would say you know there is no shame in reaching out there is no shame in saying I'm having a really rubbish day today um, and it's really good to try and establish a good support network around yourself so whether that's a family member that you can get on with and just phone up and say I'm having a, a rubbish day today or whether it's friends or you know there's no shame in reaching out even just going and talking to somebody um, you know like a counsellor that there's no shame in that it doesn't mean that you don't have to be poorly I think this is you know this is one of the things that I've really battled over the years um, since doing what I do is that people think that you have to be poorly to access counselling and you don't <laughs> so you know you wouldn't leave a broken arm unfixed you'd go and get a plaster on it um, and you wouldn't feel shameful about that so why do we feel shameful about our own mental health um, so I think that we just need to break down that there is there is no shame and there is lots and lots of support and help out there we just need to reach out i, I would absolutely um echo what naomi's just said and kind of taking lessons from um you know the sports clubs and national teams that 
um, you know, some of the work we've done has been within. I think it is really important to encourage, um, I've mainly worked with young athletes, young sports people, um, but encourage them to be both attuned to how they feel and open to sharing that with the people around them. So if um, that that is other athletes, I think it's it's changing changing the kind of culture away from it being about um, competing against everyone all the time to actually accepting that being open, admitting that you you may feel um, you know not as good some days. You you may even feel um, emotional and a bit a bit vulnerable. That's okay. You know that doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you a loser. And you know, really helping young athletes understand that, I think, makes them better people. Which, if as a coach, as a sports club, as a as a national team, you, you're not trying to do, then you're doing something wrong. So, um, yeah, I think you know, ma- making people more open to talk about how they feel and how those around them feel is is you know really important in overcoming the stigma stigma and, and taboo that that can be associated with it. I've got some really practical advice um I would say whether you're going for a walk whatever exercise a bike a swim is just take a moment and set your intention just before just take five mi- minutes do a body scan see if you're feeling any stress see what's going on in your mind connect in with your body have I got any niggles and just set an intention it could be just to take notice to to listen to feel to smell or it could be um a training intention um to have strong elbows driving back or listen to your footfalls so it just gives you that opportunity to connect and be mindful and you know for a walk that anyone anywhere is doing just just to connect to yourself connect to your environment and that kind of allows you to run happy. No, I love that. I love that. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for your time, everyone. Um, Nomi, how can people follow you and, and your work? Okay, so my website is lifecarecounselling.com and my Facebook is a capital L, number one, life care is as a life care counselling amazing and and tina your tell us about your your two books and and how people can also follow your work okay so the book i had out in the summer was uh, called focus on reflexology so that's uh giving you an insight into how reflexology can help everyone including athletes and then on christmas eve i've got a book out called the little book of zen which we all need and I think it should be on the national curriculum for children because it's just is giving you uh, information on how to meditate focus on the breath and just giving you quotes through from the centuries of just um, connecting and keeping life so much more simpler so those are my two books um, you can follow me on Instagram at she who dares runs and my running group and my Facebook page is called Run TLC. That's me, Tina Louise Chantry. So it's a good play on words. Love that. And and Beth and how about you? You obviously got the the PhD you're doing, but anything else that people can follow and support? 
Yeah, so I share a lot of um, tips and suggestions around how to have more energy for life on Instagram, which is at Beth and Taylor Swain. And also on my blog, which is bethandtaylorswain.com. Nice and simple. I like that. Very easy. And and Stuart, also your PhD, which I'm, you know, I'm sure both of your research people will love to see as well. So we'll definitely share that once it's out. But how can people uh, keep in touch and follow you? Yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter um, at whore underscore Stuart. That's H A W underscore S T U A R T. And um, you know, if, if people want to see research and some of the campaigning we're doing the save leisure campaign and the keep gyms open campaign um that's pretty much what i'm kind of churning out over twitter to to raise that awareness great well thank you so much everyone and thank you to our listeners for a fantastic year we're reaching the end of 2020 now this is our last episode of the year but we will be back in 2021 and thank you to our sponsors csm live and next year we'll we ha- we'll be having even more live podcast events as well and bringing you even more insight and episodes. So thank you for listening as always, and we will see you in 2021.